Hi, my name is Ben Armstrong. Hi, this is David Koch. My name is Thomas Maurer. Hi, I'm Donna Sarkar. Hi, my name is Lana Montgomery. Hi, I'm Seth Juarez. Hi, I'm Aaron Thomas. I'm Jess Dodson. Hi, I'm Rocky Heckman. Hi, I'm Sonia Cup. Hi, I'm Troy Hunt. Hello, this is Wally Mead. My name is Reed Purvis. Hi, I'm Lars Kling. Hi, my name is Alan Birchall. Hi, I'm Adam Fowler. Hi, I'm Scott Guthrie, and you're listening to the Need to Know Podcast. All the latest Microsoft Cloud news, as well as industry guest deep dive conversations. It's a Need to Know Podcast. All thanks to the CIA Ops patron community. The Need to Know Podcast. Catch us on Twitter and Facebook, N2K Podcast, and online at ciaops.podbean.com. Welcome along to the Need to Know Podcast. This is episode 281, and it is the last for 2021. So what I thought I'd do is just take a moment in this episode to firstly review Uh, the year that was 2021 and then go in and make some predictions or have um, some thoughts that I would share with you around what we expect to see in the Microsoft Cloud in 2022. Now before that I will again wish everybody happy holidays and thank you for listening and supporting uh, this podcast. You can always reach out to me on the Twitter at DirectorCIA, share your thoughts, your feedback, always great to hear from people also recommend that you do look at following me on twitter to consume all the information that i do share with people and as i said just reach out and say hi let me know that you're a listener and that you are enjoying the episodes again this episode is brought to you by the patron community www.ciaopspatron.com this is an area where people come together and share daily information around the microsoft cloud get problems solved uh, look at sharing automation capabilities and so on i think it's the best uh, location for information about the microsoft cloud especially for the smb Uh, so i'd highly recommend that you go and check it out and people who are subscribers are again helping me out when it comes to producing and creating these podcasts so again thank you very much to the patron community for doing that so this is the 11th year of the need to know podcast yes i did say 11 years it has been a long time there were some gaps in between there i've tried to make it as consistent as possible so We started off 2021 with episode 262, and we are now at episode 281. According to my math, that is around 19 episodes. So didn't quite reach my goal of 26 in the year, so I'm trying to get them out every two weeks. Now, some of that limitation has been around obviously getting guests. This is one of the things I found very difficult of late. So if you do want to come on, share your thoughts about any topic in the Microsoft Cloud or business particularly, Uh, please reach out to me if you know someone or would like to let someone know that they should come on and speak to me and be interviewed about their topic of choice. Again, please uh, do that. I'm always in the market, always looking for content and people to speak to about anything uh, Microsoft Cloud. So if you do know that or you're interested yourself, please do reach out to me because I'm still always looking for content. The more content that I get, the more that I can go out and create for people. So please keep that in mind. But again, thank you to everybody who uh, did come on and was interviewed over the year for those uh, 19 or so episodes. Now let's sit back and have a think about what we saw in 2021. Now, one of the items was the release towards the end of the year of uh, Defender for Business. Now, Defender for Business is effectively Defender for Endpoint. It is now being scoped to uh, the Microsoft 365 uh, Business Premium SKU for free. You can also buy it standalone, but 
it would seem to me as though that is really where it is aimed at at the SMB at this business premium skew. Now we already have the preview available. We can go in and apply for the preview. That's a 90-day preview. So working out the maths there, that will probably end towards the beginning of March or you know through March. So we'd expect the product to be out in GA before that. So expect to see the product probably uh, in the February timeframe, I would expect. I don't know anything for sure, but that would be the timeframe I would expecting for the Defender for Business product to come out. Trying to get some people to come on and speak about this in more depth uh, for an episode in the new year. Now, the Defender for Business is going to basically provide enhanced security capabilities on your endpoints. It's going to integrate the traditional AV, but also the EDR, the XDR, all of that sort of stuff linked into a cloud-based console, which is now being integrated with security.microsoft.com. Now, this is all great, fantastic. I think it's probably the best um, you know, security product on the market when it comes to endpoints. But I think a lot of people um, have overlooked the fact that there is actually another benefit here. When you do set up this connection to an endpoint with Defender for Business, uh, what you end up doing is also enabling the capability for you know, an endpoint to do monitoring and reporting of events. So this is really powerful in the fact that it can send events from you know, security logs and so on uh, into not only Defender, but also Cloud App Security and into Azure Sentinel or Microsoft Sentinel uh, now. So I think that we're going to see you know, a lot more emphasis placed on Defender for Business and Defender for Endpoint. I think it's going to you know, rise in stature in the market. I think a lot of standalone third-party AV providers are going to struggle because, again, Microsoft's got the capability and the resources to make sure that this product is a success. And remember that this product is not new to market. It is basically a repackaging of you know, Defender for Endpoint, uh, which has been around for quite a while now and is a very mature product and does really, really well in all the reviews and in its capabilities. So remember that, again, not a new product, and we also get this capability of now a monitoring endpoint uh, on our devices. And remember that it will work across not only Windows 10, but Mac, Linux, iOS, and Android. And that's a really powerful capability. It's ready for all those clients, which is going to as I said, I think be a bit of a threat to the traditional AV providers who may, again, only be focused on a very small uh, product arrangement here. Microsoft, again, is going to be able to provide an integrated solution across all of its security products, which is really going to make it a very powerful uh, product, I think. So again, if you're not looking at uh, Defender for Business, Defender for Endpoint, I would advise you to go and look at spinning up one of the trials. There's a couple of trials around for Defender for Business and Defender for Endpoint that you can go in, have a play with, and get a better idea of what it does. But extremely powerful product. I've been using it for a number of years here um, in my environment, my production environment, and can't speak highly enough about it. So uh, go in, have a look at it. The integration is going to continue to improve, and we're going to see that move as in, as I said, into secure.microsoft.com. So look for a big bang, uh, lots of information, I think, and announcements and trumpets and so on uh, in the new year when this product does go uh, GA. Now, another product that was brought to us in 2021 was Windows 365. So the way to think about this is RDS, Remote Desktop Services in the Cloud, a VDI style arrangement from Microsoft. 
Now, there are two, effectively two SKUs. There is a Windows 365 Business and a Windows 365 Enterprise. Now, the Enterprise is going to give you more flexibility, does at the moment uh, require uh, Azure connectivity, so Azure capabilities, resources like uh, virtual networks, also requires an AD, so a line of sight to an AD. Now, that is changing very shortly where you could be able to hook it to Azure AD directly without the need for a domain controller. Um, so again, expect that to see that in the new year. But uh, really, the enterprise is aimed for those people who want to do hybrid or need more flexibility around images and so on. The real SMB offering is Windows 365 for business, and this is a pretty simplistic VDI arrangement that you can subscribe to on a per month, uh, per user basis. Now, this is the real difference here. Anything that we've done in Azure has been a consumption-based model, so you've had to uh, pay for the time or the compute and the storage that you're using. The difference with Windows 365, especially the business version, is that it's a flat fee per month. So once you choose the VM power or size that you want, then that will be a flat fee no matter whether the machine is on or off or how you use it during the month. So I think that's a great uh, flexibility option. Now, where it's really going to provide some benefits is in the current scheme of things when we do have supply chain uh, issues, we have trouble getting physical PCs and devices, uh, having a virtual PC that's easy to spin up is a fixed rate per month, I think is a great option. Uh, remember that in this day and age, the major resource we're concerned about is not um, compute, CPU, uh, memory, disk speed, any of that. It's really around bandwidth. Uh, as more and more stuff is done on the web, we're really, really uh, keen on getting as much bandwidth as we can and having a virtual machine in a data center hosted by Microsoft on a really fast backbone is going to make that super enticing. So. If you haven't looked at Microsoft 365 uh, Business, I'd encourage you to go and do that. Sign up. You can sign up for it on a monthly basis and then cancel it. There all, are also trials available if you do want to go in uh, and have a play with it as well. But again, we're going to see this begin to ramp up more and more. Uh, Windows 365, I think, really is being aimed as a replacement for the traditional on-prem RDS environment that a lot of people uh, were still very vested in and wanted to make sure that the capabilities were there before they moved to the cloud. So I think we're going to see more power, more enhancements and features added to Windows 365 business and also enterprise. As mentioned, the enterprise will also get uh, direct Azure AD connectivity, which is going to make it much more appealing to a range of uh, people out there as well. So another thing that was released in the last half year was Windows 11. Now, again, as always, when Microsoft comes out with a new operating system or an updated operating system, it tends to polarize people. Some people see it as you know fantastic and they're really keen. Others uh, see it as you know the devil incarnate. I, I think that you know the best approach is somewhere in the middle of the two. Yes, it has some nice features. It does look much better. It is a more modern interface, very Mac-esque, I suppose. Uh, but underneath the covers, it effectively really is still Windows 10. The major difference is, from a technical point of view, is it's turning on a lot of the hardware security features that you could enable in Windows 10. So things like Device Guard, Application Guard, you know, those sort of uh, things that rely on virtualized uh, style technology that require TPM chip and a certain amount of CPU and RAM uh, is largely being turned on in Windows uh, 11, 
whereas in Windows 10 it was an option that you would need to go in and turn on. So uh, as we move into an environment where security becomes more paramount, turning this stuff on by default uh, is really going to be the only way that it is enabled for most people. So that I think is the core reason to look at Windows 11 is really around the enhanced security, especially at the hardware level. You do get you know a nice interface now of course there are some rough edges around this there are some features that are still missing uh, but microsoft will no doubt iterate and improve those uh, over time uh, and i think like anything it's a case of that you know you're better off moving to windows 11 in the long run but you don't have to do it immediately so most of the machines i have here uh, i'm still waiting for them to be prompted from microsoft to let me know i can upgrade those machines so it's what been three or four months and haven't seen that on any machines that I have in production. Obviously, I'm running it uh, on virtual machines and playing around with it and understanding it. But, you know, my day to day machines have not been offered that upgrade directly. So I'm hanging off waiting for that uh, before I look and go and do the upgrade for myself. So uh, my message would be that if you're getting a new machine, Windows 11 is the go. Uh, it will give you all the features of Windows 10 plus a nice interface plus some enhanced uh, security for you. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you have to run around and upgrade things to Windows 11 immediately. All the Windows 11 updates that I've seen people perform have gone seamlessly. I haven't heard of anybody that um, has had any issues. But of course, uh, make sure that you have backed up your information. If it is in the cloud, that's going to make it even easier. So uh, in the long run, yes, we're probably going to see the growth of Windows 11 in 2022. Uh, but I don't think there's any need to go and rush there. But again, if you're concerned, I don't think there's much difference underneath the covers uh, from what we know with Windows 10. The main thing is just relearning or getting used to the uh, new style uh, interface. Now, one of the other things that Microsoft continues to work on is Teams. So again, if you look at all the changes over the past 12 months, there's been lots and lots of additions to Teams. It's added many great features. But on the negative side, I think Microsoft is beginning to confuse the message with this myopic focus on you know, Teams above everything else. So if we're really honest about this, you know, we've got the commercial version of Teams, great success. We've now got a personal version, or we've also got a personal version of Teams, but we've now got something called Teams Essentials, which is effectively a standalone Teams license with a little bit of SharePoint and a few other things. We've also still got Skype in the mix, um, you know, so I, I think it's becoming uh, very confusing for a lot of people not in the space trying to understand, you know, what product should I be using, when should I be using it, what features are included. And I also think that Microsoft is, you know, adding so many features into this that, again, it's being uh, becoming a bit confusing for a lot of people who perhaps just want you know video conferencing or something simple. Teams is far more than that. Teams is largely becoming almost an operating system uh, on which you know people would spend the majority of their day, especially in the corporate uh, area. Now that is also a different approach to working. It's not generally files and folders. We're working in different areas or teams and channels and Microsoft is going to open up the ability to share this easier with external people. We're going to have this integration with the metaverse and avatars. And uh, unfortunately, like I said, I think we're going to see, you know, a lot more stuff added to Teams. A lot of people are beginning to see this as potentially bloatware um, that may not be necessary for everybody. 
I think one of the limitations also is that the desktop client uh, is not really um, you know, performative enough for what most people are using. So Microsoft really uh, needs to, and there is a project I know that is happening that will update the client that will allow access and reduce the memory usage and make switching between tenants far easier. But until that comes out, it's going to be, I think, a, a bit of a struggle to uh, have all this stuff, more and more stuff crammed into Teams. It is becoming, um, you know, I, I think fairly complex for you know the person who wants to perform a simple task so uh, i think we see this with a lot of other applications it's a case of okay well it does a you know the base job really really well and then to stay competitive and to uh, allow it to compete better in the market microsoft is adding you know more and more features but for the majority of people perhaps they don't really need these or it would be perhaps better if these could be hidden uh, behind a basic and maybe an advanced option in the menu uh, but I don't think there's any doubt we're going to see more features added to Teams. I would like to see the interface perhaps broken down to be a simpler option for people who maybe just want video conferencing and something, you know, straightforward. And then, you know, the ability to turn on advanced options. It'd be nice to get a new, you know, updated, faster client as soon as possible. And, you know, again, I'm a bit a bit confused with the direction Microsoft have with all these uh, different versions of Teams. Uh, I think it does make it you know, very confusing for people. So if we look at Windows 11, the Windows 11 out of the box comes with the ability to use the consumer version of Teams, but not the corporate version of Teams. And the client that comes with Windows 11 um, is only supported with the consumer, not the commercial version as yet. And, you know, these simple things may not seem like much, but to an end user, they can certainly put them uh, off the product and make it you know, less likely for them to accept it and use it, really love the product. So I think Teams is fantastic. I use it every day. It's really, really good in what it does and the uh, solutions that it provides for users. But uh, we're sort of getting to a point where we're stuffing a lot of stuff in here. I think that uh, it will be good perhaps to step back and look at simplifying this and maybe beginning to put the emphasis on you know the faster client the updated client and then you know simplifying the interface and some of the options for people out there so I'd like to see a lot more focus on um, teams and the simplification of it and also in the direction and the offerings you know one teams would be fantastic and then it should really support all the options that anybody uh, subscribes to rather than having to have a, a different client for uh, the different options that you are uh, subscribe to out there. Now a hardware device that Microsoft sold was the Duo 2. So this is an update to the original Duo, a split screen or dual screen device that's like a clamshell that is a phone but is also largely a PC running Android. Now I went out and invested in a Duo 2. Now to be honest I haven't really used it enough because it is a secondary phone but uh, at this stage there are some concerns or there are some uh, limits around it that have been a little bit disappointing. The main one for me is that I wanted to use this as like a, a notebook on my desktop and because the camera sticks out from the main body uh, it does make it unstable you can't lay it flat uh, completely flat on the desktop which makes it a bit difficult uh, to use um, you know and it's my original uh, design for it so it's probably also uh, very expensive for what it does there are cheaper options 
out there, um, but I would suggest that you need to look at this not as a phone. So a lot of people are treating this you know, as a phone. It's not an iPhone. It's not an Android. It's not a Samsung. You need to look past this and, and look at this, I believe, more as a you know, a uh, light PC or a Chromebook style competitor. So imagine a situation where we have a duo that can plug into a docking station and can run, you know, the Android apps and allow you to connect to a Windows 365 um, PC via, you know, terminal services or whatever and still get access to your files in the cloud and do some desktop functionality, allow you to browse the web. So I see it more as a potential, you know, PC, a very portable PC, a very small laptop you can take around with you. However, it's still very early days. There are rumors that I've heard of of a Duo 3 coming uh, to solve some of these problems and change the form factor slightly. Uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. But at this stage, look, unless you want, like I said, to have a device uh, that you can use more as a PC or as a notebook. Now, for me, using it with OneNote is fantastic. Using it to read uh, any sort of ebook is magic. And working, you know, on your emails and browsing the web at the same time, those two screens work really, really well. But I think that's a very limited uh, use for the most people out there. Most people expect to have uh, use it like a phone, uh, so it's not a consumer device. And I think even in the corporate world, it does have some uh, limitations and is something that you will have to get familiar with. So I'm still coming to grips with how to make it most productive for me in my environment. It certainly is. I mean, doing PowerPoints, doing presentations, I can see it being, you know, magic for that sort of stuff. But on the other side, it is a very expensive device for what it actually does do. So you need to keep that in mind. So if you haven't, if you're thinking about one now, I'd probably hold off and wait and see where the Duo 3 is and what they're talking about. My guess would be probably maybe May to June, perhaps. Don't know for sure, but um, I don't think it's a device, a must-have device. I don't think it's necessarily a device that you can... Uh, used to replace uh, your normal phone. So if you do make a lot of phone calls, probably not the device for you, although you can obviously connect it to a Bluetooth connector. But for example, if you do get a Duo and you want to use it uh, in your car and you've got a you know a holder, then uh, you probably need a new holder because the device is you know much larger and, and there are some different ergonomics around it. So again, um, I think it's a great device. I think that in a limited area, it's, you know, works really well, does what I want it to do. It'd be nice if it had a few uh, enhancements. I think they will come over time. I need to spend a bit more time with it, getting comfortable with it. I'm happy that I've got it. I think it is value for money for me. Uh, but if you are thinking about it, again, go and have a look at the device, feel the device, actually think about, okay, what am I going to use it for? And is the amount of money that I'm going to spend on this really worth it? Because effectively, you could almost get a, you know, a full Surface PC uh, for the investment you're going to make there. But I do think that, you know, for a certain demographic, this is going to be a device uh, for the future. And I think we're going to see more and more of these devices. Microsoft, as always, is generally early uh, on this sort of stuff. So have a look at that. And, and the way I would suggest to you is don't think about it as a phone. Think of it more as a Chrome Compete or a, you know, a simplified P mobile PC, a mini laptop uh, that you can use out there uh, in the field. Now, another item that Microsoft released is Loop. So Loop is basically the... Um, you know, the successor to what we consider the fluid framework, perhaps. It's 
think of it like taking an object. So if you imagine a table um, that you want multiple people to be able to collaborate on and you embed that table in an email and send it to a few people and then you put that in a spreadsheet, you put that in a document, you put that in a Microsoft team with different audiences and they can all contribute and update and all the information then is current no matter where you've shared that. Now, obviously on the collaboration side, that's really cool, that real, works really well and allows people to use information exactly where it is uh, that they need it. It moves away from this document-centric focused world and moves into, again, this more object-orientated style environment. Now, on the other side, one of the things I sort of struggle with at the moment, not having seen it, is, okay, how is uh, things like compliance going to be handled, you know, and version control and check-in and check-out and how does that fit in and what does that mean when you can someone can change in an email and that changes in everybody else's email. Uh, we're used to emails being immutable that once you receive an email, it doesn't change. Uh, so again, there are some major concepts here uh, and approaches that people are going to have to get their heads around and get used to as this concept of loop and the fluid framework begins to, you know, end up in more locations in the Microsoft sphere. Now, Microsoft has told us that loop is beginning to roll out into the Teams uh, chat interface. So if you have a look in your Teams, it might be in there. I haven't seen it roll out to any of my tenants as yet. So very keen to have a play with it and get people using it to understand, you know, the collaboration, but also the compliance uh, side of it as well. So we'll have to wait and see. Microsoft would seem to, it, it was a relatively, you know, quiet or subdued launch, I think. I think Microsoft's got a lot of, um, you know, it's got a major bet on this going forward to move, like I said, from a document-centric world away into sort of the new world of collaborate truly anywhere. But we'll have to wait and see because I think, the success of this will be driven by compliance, especially large organizations who want to work with this sort of tool, but also want to manage, you know, who's changing what, when's it being changed, um, you know, how is that being managed and controlled uh, in my organization. So if you haven't had a look at Loop, expect to see it pop up in your team's uh, chat shortly and then start appearing in other applications, you know, around the Microsoft sphere. Now, I get a lot of questions from people about, okay, when is Microsoft likely to start moving back to face-to-face -to -face, uh, style events? So Microsoft has a number of big conferences, uh, typically four. Uh, so we typically see um, you know, things like Build, which is in May, which is around developers. We see the Partner Conference, which is around June or July. We then see um, you know, Ignite, which is the IT Pro one towards the end of the year. Uh, so the idea here is that at the moment these are all virtual conferences. Now, uh, I would ex I was expecting that Microsoft would probably announce that the uh, Inspire, which is its partner worldwide partner conference, typically in Las Vegas, around the July timeframe, would be the first event that it would be going back to uh, true face to face or at least a hybrid style event. But I think, unfortunately, because of the recent uh, outbreaks that have reoccurred, that, that may be put back. But if I was to put any money on it, and if the current out outbreaks do settle down in a relatively short period of time, fingers crossed, that may see the partner conference in July 
um, basically go back to a hybrid or partial face-to-face -face, uh, style event simply because hopefully enough time has expired, enough people have got vaccinated or the, the travel uh, conditions are, are easier. It's also warmer, obviously, in a place like Las Vegas, so there's hopefully less transmission or less chance of tr transmission. But uh, if the current outbreak does you know, continue to ramp up, which it seems it will do, then I think Microsoft will push that back until you know 2023 at the earliest. So probably not a great chance of that happening. Now, that said, Microsoft has transitioned its uh, events into virtual events. They've been run very successfully. Um, they've been very, very inclusive. So they've gone from events from that would you know potentially have a couple of thousand up to maybe 20,000 people to events now that are running worldwide for 48 hours with hundreds of thousands of attendees. Now, that has been challenging. I think Microsoft has stepped up. It's taken them a little while uh, to get to the point where they're able to do this you know, pretty well. But I think, unfortunately, what has suffered in this is because they've opened their audience up, they've made uh, the content probably not as deep as it used to be. So for me, things like Ignite, where it was an IT pro, was a great conference. It was really, really deep. Uh, you had sessions there that you know went into registry settings and PowerShell and scripting, and a lot of that content ended up on YouTube, so you didn't necessarily have to go to the conferences you could attend uh, virtually and take advantage of all that. Now, the content that uh, is being presented now, I think a lot of Microsoft uh, virtual events, is not quite to the technical depth that it used to be in these face-to-face. -face. So that's one of the reasons I'd love to see the face-to-face uh, events come back. It'll be interesting how Microsoft handles this because it's sort of set the expectation for many people who've never been to these face-to-face -face events that, okay, this is the level it's at. Um, very interesting to see. I'd personally like to see you know, the uh, content get a lot deeper, especially if around the IT Pro and the developer side of things. But obviously, Microsoft's trying to appeal to a much larger audience. And again, it's done that very successfully and it's shared that information. But uh, it, it just doesn't have that depth um, that I found and, and that, you know, for me, the deep technical enjoyment that I got out of you know, attending and also watching those sort of sessions. So fingers crossed that that will improve. We will get back to face-to-face -face, uh, events, you know, hopefully in 2022. But my gut feeling is probably uh, 2023 uh, is when we're going to start, you know, seeing those kick off again. Another product from Microsoft that I think is been building momentum a bit behind the scenes is Viva. I think that some of the limitation around Viva has been, once again, a bit like Teams, it's so much information and it's four different products and it does a bit of this, it does a bit of that. What it does is magic and is fantastic. And if you think about it, it's sort of a layer that's on top of Teams that allows people to get an on-demand intranet customized to them and has learning inbuilt. And look, it's a great solution, don't get me wrong, but... Um, again, it's really layering more complexity for the average user who's probably only used to, you know, file open, file close and file print to try and get their head around. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to see where Viva goes. I think in the enterprise, it's going to be taken up because you're going to have the training, you're going to have the implementation. It's going to make a lot more sense in that environment. In the SMB, I think there's going to be cost restrictions as there is. And also, you know, the hesitancy for people to get into something that's new and different. Probably we're going to see the same thing with Loop. Uh, people are going to take 
a while, I think, to get their minds across this change from a very linear approach to data to something that is, you know, far more dynamic and, and something where you don't really know where the file is. In the concept of Viva, you know, you're using search, it's being pushed to you by the algorithm to determine what is most relevant to you. And I think a lot of people just aren't used to that um, as yet. Now, I think that will change over time as we get uh, more millennials and people who are used to have grown up with IT and cloud services uh, in the mix. But at the moment, we're sort of in that transition where a lot of people are sort of scratching their heads and saying, look, look, I just want to open a file. I just want to update it, save it, attach it and send it. So uh, that, again, we understand. But on the other side, you do have to look to the future. You do have to look to up your skills and improve your skills and, and take this on board and beginning to move in that direction because that is the direction that Microsoft is taking. That is the direction that Microsoft is encouraging you uh, to move to get the most advantage and productivity. Now, we certainly do see that. You do get that, but it is a different way of thinking. And without the appropriate training and assistance, I think you know users are going to struggle. And unfortunately, you know we're looking at you know more stuff in Teams, more stuff. Uh, or different approach in things like Loop. And now we're going to see, you know, additional things in Viva as well. Uh, there's just so much happening that I think for, you know, a user who just wants to get their job done, this can be very, very um, overloading for them and it can make them difficult for them to fully understand. So the real trick here is the training is keeping up to date, is using this and helping users understand that. But I think there's going to be that hesitation or there's going to be that, you know, uh, it's going to take a while for this to begin to sink in uh, as a, a new approach. So look out for Viva. If you're not using it again, have a play with it. Understand what it is. And again, much like Loop, it's going to be a different approach to the way that collaboration's done for it. And it's going to be one of the products that uh, Microsoft is really going to start ramping up, I think, in uh, 2022. Now, one of the other changes in the Microsoft space was around OneNote. Now, OneNote is a very old collaboration app. It's been around since I think about the year 2000, even before. Uh, something I use every day, can't live without it. I have you know massive amounts of OneNotes and capture huge amounts of information. And I love it because it can be synchronized across any device. You can use it to uh, search and put your finger on information quickly and easily. Now, back in the day, there was only the desktop version. Then Microsoft uh, said it was moving to a new dedicated Windows 10 style uh, application. So it for a while had you know OneNote for the desktop and OneNote for Windows 10. Uh, that looked like the web version, the Mac version and so on. But it didn't um, have a lot of the advanced features which people really wanted and were familiar with from the desktop version. So recently in the last year, Microsoft decided, okay, we're not going to do the Windows 10 version anymore. We're going to close that down and focus all our efforts on the OneNote, the traditional OneNote for the desktop. So again, um, that's going to be a phase rollout. It's, it's beginning to close that Windows 10. No more updates on that. And it's going to move to the desktop version. So, you know, if you were like me and you you know, wanted to move to a newer interface, you were using the Windows 10, well, you'll have to, again, uh, look at minimize your usage there. Now, the good thing is, is, is the OneNotes, the data is compatible across both. You can work with any, so you shouldn't have any trouble with that that's compatible with both versions. But uh, one of the big changes, and I think it's a good thing for Microsoft to, you know, focus on one version. One of the things I was talking about with Teams and other things is 
there we get a problem i think microsoft has issues when there are too many uh, versions of its products so you know we've got onedrive for business we've got onedrive consumer um, we've got you know teams essentials we've got teams consumer we've got um, a, a range of different products which have you know very similar names perform very similar topics this is where the confusion uh, seeps in i think i think it's a much better option for microsoft to look at you know going in and say right you know not enough people or the large majority of people want uh, OneNote for the desktop. Let's focus all our resources. Let's make the best possible product we can by putting all of that in one area then rather than splitting our uh, resources between you know different uh, situations here. So again, if you're a OneNote fan, not a huge issue. If you are using it on Windows 10, then you will have to make the move to the desktop edition. But the desktop edition does have you know, a lot more features, a lot more functionality, something I've used since day one. So I'm comfortable with that. Uh, and again, use it across you know, multiple uh, devices to give me the information. And to me, it is the most handy application that I do have because I've just got so much information personal and um, for the business as well. So again, it works really, really well. Now, it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, maybe OneNote, you could consider OneNote to be an earlier version of Loop in the way it shared and collaborated with information. So I'll be interested to see what happens when, you know, Loop begins to scale up where OneNote sort of fits into all this and whether OneNote adopts some of the Loop stuff to, you know, enhance the way that it synchronizes and shares information. Again, one of the things that we'll just have to uh, wait and see. But there is, I think, some you know some alignment between those two products there that we'll just have to uh, wait and see you know what comes out of uh, things down the track. Now, the last topic that I've got here uh, before we sort of do a roundup is around security. Now, without doubt, you know security has been the biggest challenge in the past year and the year before and the year before. And guess what? Next year is going to be no different. Now, I don't think a lot of this is a failure necessarily of the technology. I think a lot of it is a failure for people to understand and fully implement uh, security to best practices. So a couple of examples I've got for you is that we had a competition inside the patron community to try and find the lowest Microsoft Secure Score. So the idea with Secure Score is it evaluates all the settings that you have your environment out of 100 the higher the better uh, the idea is, is you want to get it to about 80 or 90 uh, to take advantage of all the security features Microsoft provides in Microsoft 365 but we had a competition to see if we could find uh, the lowest one out there the first entry came in at 7 so the option out of the box is generally around 16 to 18 so if you do nothing if you just get microsoft 365 out of the box you generally have a secure score of 16 to 18 well this one was seven all right so obviously stuff had been turned off and the next entry was the winner and it was zero and it was amazing to think that there was a customer out there being looked after by an it firm that in theory was saying it was you know cyber security focused and that this customer had a zero secure score. It didn't have MFA enabled. Um, you know, it was it had basic auth enabled. Um, all of this stuff, all the security had been disabled. Um, so again, that's just a disaster waiting to happen. So that really comes down to the people that configure that environment. Your job should, really should be is to make the secure score as high as you possibly can. As I said, 80 to 90 is really what you should be aiming for. Now, 
I thought that that was probably the low point that I would see in security for the year, but it turns out that there was another one. We had a situation where a you know, reseller was working with a, a customer and the customer basically had been pwned, so they'd been compromised somehow and they were sending out you know, bulk uh, spam emails out of their tenant, so the attacker had gone in and was using the customer's tenant to spam, to spam other people out their environment. And upon analysis, it turned out that every single user in the environment was a global administrator. So whoever set up the environment had given every user in the environment full administration rights to the whole environment, not enforced strong passwords, not enforced multi-factor authentication, um, and it just made a right mess of everything security. And again, it wasn't long before the system was compromised, pr probably from a phishing email sent to a user. The attacker then had got full run of the tenant and was able to do whatever they wanted to. Now, the big trouble here is, okay, well, what happens to, you know, can we shut all this off? Can we tidy it up? Well, if an attacker gets global administration, you know, full admin access to a tenant, you're never going to be 100% sure that the tenant hasn't got a backdoor placed in it by the attacker that they could come back. So the only option there maybe is you've got to start a new tenant from scratch. So unfortunately, I think that we're going to see more security incidents. We're going to see more security concerns. Uh, it's just the nature of the business. And a lot of it comes down to poor configuration and poor awareness of the people whose job it is to actually maintain security. So remember that at the end of the day, there are a number of best practices practices put out there by people like Microsoft, NIST, um, the Australian Cybersecurity, all of that sort of stuff is out there to allow you to follow best practices. Now you have to work out where you sit in that scale, but you know, at a very, very minimum, please go in and implement uh, MFA, right? Multi-factor authentication is going to reduce the risk so dramatically um, that it's, it's silly not to have it enabled. And you know, services like Twitter, Facebook, um, you know, airlines, banking, everybody's doing MFA. You must have MFA on all your accounts uh, to make sure that they are kept secure. So please go and do that. And again, it is absolutely shocking when Microsoft reports that, you know, something like 60 to 80, 85% of users in Microsoft 365 still do not have MFA enabled on their accounts. Just unbelievable to me. So please make 2022 the year of MFA and turn it on absolutely everywhere. Yes, it is a little bit more painful, but the Microsoft tools like passwordless login and so on make it so much easier to go in and for users to work with it. Um, and it does make them so much more secure. So please go and turn that on and don't make all your users global administrators. Again, minimize that um, as well. Now, one of the things that we will see in 2022 around the March timeframe is going to be price increases from Microsoft. Um, now, if you're a consumer and end user, you're going to see a price increase, you know, around the 10% or so level. Uh, Microsoft hasn't increased its prices for a long time, over 10 years, I believe. And it's added lots of features. So again, in this current uh, environment of inflation where prices are increasing, you know, I think it's quite justified. There is a lot of noise out there with resellers around the CSP program and the increases and the changes to that. I'm not going to dive into that. I refer you to a previous podcast I had with Phil Meyer from Microsoft. Go in and have a listen to that. But 
beware of that. There's going to be an effect for an end user and also for a partner who is selling the Microsoft 365 uh, environment as well. There are price rises uh, obviously coming to that, which are going to affect um, you know, the way that you uh, potentially run your business. So make sure you are aware and across all that. All right, so that is probably enough for this episode. Last episode, as I mentioned, of 2021. Uh, love to hear what you think. What did I miss? Is there something out there which really grabbed your attention or you thought that should have been in this episode? Please, by all means, let me know. You can do that on the Twitter at DirectorCIA or on an email, director at CIAops.com. I'll take this opportunity once again to thank everybody for listening uh, to the podcast over the po- past 12 months hope that you've enjoyed everything and look forward to uh, joining me again in 2022 for more episodes from the need to know podcast you have been listening to the need to know podcast from cia ops for training on using technologies like sharepoint online or microsoft 365 visit www.ciaopsacademy.com by purchasing from the selections available you'll be directly supporting this podcast To provide feedback on this episode, visit www.ciaops.com slash contact.